and welcome into the hard count. Happy Leap Day for all who observe. We got Mario Cristobal joining the show here, head coach of the Miami Hurricanes, in just a matter of moments. We talk everything from Cam Ward to the resurgence of Miami and what he hopes to accomplish this upcoming season, what he wants to do via the port. All that, got a lot to talk about with Coach Cristobal. Phenomenal conversation. We're going to talk about that in a second. Before we get to that, though, I don't know if y'all had your head on the swivel last night, but there was some more news that broke. And news is probably the strong word to use. There were some more rumors that are circulating around the college football playoff expanding to 14 teams. Y'all, I don't really want to I don't really want to dive down that rabbit hole, but when things happen, we talk about it on this show. Okay? So that's just kind of how this whole thing works. So we'll talk about that. Also, I want to talk to y'all a little bit about the news that was going on around Alabama. Cuz Kalen DeBoer does not swear. I have no issues with that. But the nature of being the head coach at Alabama is every single move you make, especially being the head coach that follows Nick Saban, it's going to generate a little bit of buzz. So we got our thoughts on that. And the more, the more overarching conversation we're going to have there is when it comes to Kalen DeBoer, how should we assess him? How should we filter our opinion when it comes to Bama in this new era under Kalen DeBoer. Also, we got projection rankings. They're back. Our top five teams in the ACC over the course of the next three seasons. Not a power rankings, not a prediction. We're sort of looking at the trend, making our opinion on it, and uh, giving you that, uh, fil- that, that unfiltered opinion as it pertains to the ACC. Hey, appreciate everybody tuned in live. Appreciate everybody watching right now uh, on YouTube on, and who's listening on podcasts. We're glad to have you all a part of this. Whatever you got going on for the next hour or so, just relax. Kick them up. We're talking ball and only ball. So, with that being said, like I mentioned a moment ago, Ross Dellinger of Yahoo Sports, who is always, it seems like, the first person to know about all things college football playoff expansion and otherwise, bottom line here, very much so a report that I would take with a lot of seriousness. Ross Dellinger reporting that the 14-team college football playoff format is being socialized among major major conference administrators currently. So socialized being the key word there. Everyone in this report made it very clear, hey, nothing is finalized. No pen is being put to paper. This is just what we're talking about when it comes to the future of the college football playoff. Because just so we're on the same page here, in 2026, that 12-team format may be looking a little bit different. Why? Because the TV contract is going to look different. There's no TV contract locked in, so there's no you know format that's locked in just yet. There's also no timeline locked in, but you have to imagine here, 2026, right around the corner, we're sitting here almost a quarter of the way through 2024. They want to move sooner rather than later on getting a format together. So what would that look like for a 14-team playoff? We'll walk through it here. There would be three auto bids apiece for the Big Ten and the SEC. Makes sense. They're the teams that have, quite frankly, the highest level of top teams in their conference, and they also make a whole lot of money, so they're calling some shots here. We'll talk about that. Two bids apiece for the ACC and the Big 12. They get two auto bids, all right? So already you're at 10 teams. Three for the Big 10, three for the SEC, two for the ACC, two for the Big 12. You get one bid for the highest ranked G5 team, okay? One bid. You get three teams that get in that large bid. So the next three highest ranked teams you'd have to believe are the ones that would end up in that 14-team playoff. So is this going to happen? Again, everyone's talking about, hey, 
being socialized. Everyone's very, very careful to not say anything specific around, is it going to happen? Is it not going to happen? Just being socialized right now, okay? Is it going to happen, though? Uh, the answer is, yeah, probably. It probably is. You want to know why? Because we've now opened Pandora's box. We have given a mouse a cookie. Give a mouse a cookie. It's going to want some milk. That's the way this whole thing is operating because you have people that are operating, we've said this many, many times, operating from a bottom line point of view. They're not worried about the health of the sport. They're not worried about protecting specific rivalries. They might say they are, but then you look at what they're actually, happen what they're actually doing when it, when it comes to expanding the playoff and the integrity of the game. Is it going to happen? Probably so. Another reason why we think this is going to happen, there is too much power that is imbalanced from the Big Ten and the SEC. And I'm not saying that in a negative way. More power to the SEC and the Big Ten. But those are the two conferences that are holding all the cards, or the majority of the cards, rather, when you're sitting at the negotiating table. What are you going to say if the Big Ten and the SEC says, you know what, actually we want to go form our own kind of playoff. We're going to have our own Big Ten and SEC playoff. We'll crown our own champion that way. That's a whole lot of money leaving the, leaving the room with those big brands and those conferences. So if you're the ACC and the Big 12 and the other conferences at the G5 level and you still want to be able to take home a piece of that pie when it comes to the college football playoff and the national playoff picture, you say, okay, you know what? If you want to have your six teams in this 14-team playoff and it makes more money for everybody involved, cool. You hold the cards. You call that first shot. We'll take our two bids. We'll take our one bid and we'll do the three auto bid kind of thing or the three at-large bids. So that's why this is happening. There is a complete imbalance of power across the board. And again, I'm not throwing any shade at the SEC or the Big Ten. I think they're operating exactly how you'd expect them to operate. They don't have any allegiance to the ACC if they're the SEC or the Big Ten. It's not their fault for those other conferences or for the G5. Like, they're operating in the best interest of their conference, which is, of course, their job. It's their job. So what we need here, and we've said this for a while now, there has never been a stronger need for regulation in the college football landscape than right now. Calendar shifting, Tectonic plates are moving. We're having conversations around the playoff expanding and different automatic qualifying bids being given out. We need a, we need a, a commissioner. We need a governing body to put a lid on this thing. Because the reality is, is it going to stop at 14 teams? We thought it'd stop at four teams. We thought it would stop at 12 teams. And I say we very loosely in the sense that, like, that was the initial thought going into those negotiations was, could we expand? Yeah, what about 12? We're at 14 now. Tell you what. 18 would make you more money too. 24 would make you more money. If we don't have a lid on this thing, if there's no fence put up, there's no barrier put up for this thing to keep moving forward, it's going to keep expanding. Now, what number is that final resting place? I have no idea, but I don't think it's 14. I think you see dollar signs. I think you see more product, more revenue. I play more games, more inventory you can sell. I'm telling you what, man, like how much money is enough money? The limit does not exist. Mean girl style. So again, just so we have our permanent thought on record here, do we think this is a good idea? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. College football fans, we'll say this again now, college football fans throughout the course of history have grown to love the sport regardless of the postseason. We always appreciated bowl games. Now you got folks saying things like, oh, it's a meaningless bowl game. That term never existed 10 years ago. Right now it's in play. College football fans were all in when it was the AP poll era. They were fine crowning champion that way. You want to go to the BCS championship game? I was in favor of that. I thought that was awesome. Okay, great. We'll have a BCS championship game. Four-team playoff. Cool. We still love college football. Why? Because you have Auburn and Georgia playing on a Saturday afternoon, and it means the world to both teams. They're not playing for seeding. They are playing for their national title lives. Obviously, that national title lives 
verbiage kind of changes throughout the course of where those programs have been at. But you hear what I'm saying. The example stands the same. The regular season is what has always attracted college football fans to college football. The more you tinker with the sport and make it like other sports, I don't think you're going to lose fans per se, but you are going to drastically change the product that drew them there in the first place. So when you talk about the future of college football and the college football playoff, we need, we need someone to put a lid on this thing. We need, we need some kind of control because right now it's a free-for-all and you got a lot of players with a lot of big money right now that, that are holding all the cards, like I just mentioned, the Big Ten and the SEC, acting in their own interest, more power to them. Somebody has to come in and put some regulation on this thing. If I had to nominate somebody, Nick Saban just got himself a new job with ESPN, but I don't know what the hours per week demand is there, but yeah. Nick Saban, ball is in your court. We'd love to have you manage this whole thing. So with that being said, uh, the college football playoff being socialized for 14 teams, will it happen? Probably. Probably. All right, appreciate everybody dialed in live. We had, again, a great conversation with the Miami Hurricanes head coach, Mario Cristobal, talking Cam Ward, talking the change from this past year to the upcoming season, how he feels about his team going in 2024. Great conversation with Coach Cristobal. We appreciate him making time. Without further ado, here is our conversation with the Hurricanes head coach. We are now joined by the head coach of the Miami Hurricanes, Coach Mario Cristobal. Coach, it feels like you know people see the records, and records don't necessarily tell the whole story when it comes to what teams are on the field. I mean, from last year, or the year before rather, to this past season, from total defense, 64 to 24 nationally. Uh, total offense, from 85 to, to 25. What does that kind of growth say about the direction of Miami football? No, no question. It feels very similar, uh, very much like a deja vu of all the, the places we've been at. You know, albeit all but one uh, opportunity for myself and our staff has been a, some type of rebuild, you know, whether it be going to Rutgers, uh, whether it be going to FIU, whether it be coming to Miami in 97, uh, Oregon in 16 after a four and eight season. They've all been very, very similar. Um, I think the, probably the biggest difference here is the amount and the caliber of student athlete that we're recruiting and the ones that we're landing and now the ability to get them in that culture. You mentioned coach Feld earlier uh, and how the weight room plays such a big role in what your team becomes in the course of the off season. Well, it, we've been pounding away at culture and people and doing things a certain way for a couple of years now. Um, and the progress has been something that we feel really strongly about. It's, it's evident in the progress on the field and off the field as well, and we expect to take another jump this season. And that was one of the things that you actually spoke to us when we got to talk to you last year was, hey, these are the key ingredients for us, culture, talent, hard work. We have those things we want them to be, like we're going to be really successful. What's your satisfaction level right, right now with those areas? Well, fired up about the progress. I don't think that, I don't think like content, satisfaction. I don't, I don't think those words ever enter, right? Our vocabulary, our train of thought. Uh, what enters it is just a relentless amount of work in, in an ever-changing college football world, right? The landscape is, the landscape doesn't bring a handbook, right? It's continually changing uh, from, I mean, you saw the subtle changes like no photo shoots, no decorating rooms and and for an official visit for whatever that means. But then you also, the, the transfer portal, the windows, when they're open, when they're closed, uh, on the docket, now coming up, signing date changes, right? And how that affects the calendar and whatnot. Well, still the most important recruits are the ones that are in your locker room downstairs. So uh, we've we've been working really, really hard. That's what we do. We just grind. We grind and we've been working really hard at establishing 
a method to make sure that our players are attended to in terms of development and growth and connection while we continue to enhance the caliber of human being and competitor that comes into the building. And that's what, you know, like different people have different things they really enjoy. I enjoy that. Like that's, I've been blessed with, again, all the opportunities I've had have been some type of rebuild, just feel stronger about this one than any other one. And um, again, this, just a lot of juice and excitement right now. Yeah, Coach, have to believe a, a reason for some of that juice and excitement is who y'all landed at quarterback through the transfer portal with, with Cam Ward. What made him the right guy for y'all in Coral Gables? There's a lot of things. I mean, uh, he's an explosive player who's a great leader. He's got a great presence about him. Uh, he's been in big games, big situations, tough situations, has been overmatched um, personnel-wise and still finds a way to create just uh, some dynamic explosive plays manage a game, um, make a lot out of a little sometimes. And at the same time, um, he's very goal-driven. He's like, he's he's very intent on helping Miami uh, become a prominent football program once again. And he does not shy away from competition. You saw we have a young quarterback room that's talented. And we had another portal quarterback as well, a Reese. And uh, those two guys have approached this the right kind of way where it's it's you've got to go out there and you've got to be your best and you've got to compete for it. Uh, and Cam has has not disappointed, man. He has been awesome as a leader. He has been awesome as a competitor. We have our fourth quarter drills out there, man, and he's he's trying to win. He's trying to win all the reps. So all in all, really fired up that he's here. I think you'll enjoy watching him this spring. Oh, without question. I mean, we, we cannot wait to watch Cam Ward throw it around with that uh, orange and green U on his helmet. But I have to imagine his job is going to be, you know, a lot easier having big Francis Malanoa in front of him. And then on the defensive side, you got Ruben Bain, both those guys, true freshmen last year, coach. Uh, what, what was the key ingredient for them being able to hit the ground running at such a young age, being playing in you know, a power conference? Well, I think, um, you know, I've, I've had uh, the opportunity to kind of, you know, hear some of, of your stuff. And, you know, I, I love the, the part where, you assess it as these are what Miami players used to look like for a long time. Okay. And now they're on the field for us. So I really, I'm fired up about the fact that now we're, we're littering the roster with guys of that caliber guys that, you know, they didn't come out there just because they were high, highly talented freshmen. They went out there and earned those opportunities. You know, they earned freshman all American uh, status. And they did it by working hard, by throwing their bodies around, competing, spending extra time up here in the film room. And that's contagious, man. That permeates locker room. And um, and that certainly has kicked in for us. And it's affected other freshmen in that class and certainly affected the freshmen that we signed this year as well. So more, right? More. More of those guys. And by the truckload, bring them in. Let them compete. That's what Green Tree practice field always looked like. And, you know, we could cut it any way we want to. But... You've got to have those kind of players to get to the type of, of program, to build the type of program and get to the level that you want to here at the University of Miami. And that goes for any championship program. I mean, getting to see Francis Malanoa out there on the screenplay, I mean, that was just like must-see TV every single time it was going on on a Saturday afternoon. But you mentioned the building of the roster and the way that y'all are attacking things on the recruiting trail. When it comes to sitting down with some of those top guys, whether it be in the state of Florida or elsewhere, what's the pitch you're making to those guys? Why, why should they come to Miami if they're watching this video? The truth. We give them the truth. You know, if you want to start with academics, it's an elite private institution, right? 
I mean, if you take a walk on a campus, which I think you need to with your crew, okay, you're going to enjoy it. You know, it's uh, it's hard to beat the classroom setting, the the student faculty ratio, the level of academics that they're exposed to here, and then the networking systems that come with going to the University of Miami. The alumni here is as strong as as powerful as it gets. And then you spill on over to the commitment that the athletic department has made to football. And with the coaching staff that was hired, the guys that we've been able to bring in as high-level teachers, high-level mentors, elite human beings that have recruited really, really diligently to bring in top-level talent, you know, high-caliber people that want to be elite in the classroom, on the field, in life after football, that they, they just get it, you know, that are, that are like-minded, that are very driven, that are self-motivated, uh, that want to have an impact on the community um, and let's call it what it is, arguably the best city in the world for a lot of different reasons, not just the sunny weather and the nice stuff. I mean, there's a lot of opportunity here that you just can't find anywhere else. And I think we've all, the whole country has seen what Miami's like when Miami is hitting on all cylinders. Well, um, we're putting together the pieces that are going to allow us to operate at that level once again. Um, and we've been working relentlessly at it. And that's all we want to do, honestly. We don't want to in any way, shape, or form, tweet, boast, you know, slogan it up. And that's not it, man. We want to, we want to just work. We knew the opportunity. We also recognize the challenge that came with this. And now as we go into year three, we feel again encouraged, enthused, fired up because of the pieces in place, the progress that has been made, and then the genuine just juice and the drive behind wanting to take the next steps that come with this. So I know it's a long answer to a short question, man, but yeah, around here, so of course, people are through the roof fired up. They know it. They feel it. They watch, they go downstairs, they watch, you know, a couple of our guys put 700 pounds on their back and, you know, clean whatever, you know, weight Coach Felt puts on there then go out there and, and run and move like Miami players are supposed to do. So it's good stuff. Now, Coach, that juices me up even hearing that. I mean, that that makes me fired up to see what y'all are going to do on, on the field this fall. And you you mentioned adding the right pieces. Just add another key piece to your coaching staff. And Chevis Jackson coming over to, to coach the corners. What does he bring to the table for your staff? Well, I think, number one, someone who's familiar with Coach Guidry and his scheme. And Coach Guidry, if you look at his track record, hard to find a guy that's had his success defensively across the country for decades. I mean, and here's a guy that is a super high-level teacher of technique and fundamentals that understands the entire system at corner and at safety, but can really get into the techniques and the fundamentals of that position, you know. And, and that's critically important because I think a lot of times, you know, in college football, um, like we don't hire guys that are just recruiters. We want guys that are teachers and developers. When you sit in a room with our coaches, you know, parents need to see how is this – coach how is this mentor going to help take my son's uh internal makeup his character his growth his development as a player what's he as a person what's he going to do to help him take those steps to elevate you know to accomplish those goals and those dreams and I think when you can look at a guy like Shavis Jackson man he checks all the boxes man guys like Jason Taylor they check all the boxes Alex Mirabal you know uh, Matt Merritt who just came over from USF uh, we we believe in coaching. I, we coach because of our coaches. I love my high school coach. Bad son of a gun. You know, I love Coach Jimmy Johnson, Coach Dennis Harrison. Those dudes were ball coaches. They kick your butt, right? And they push and they challenge you and never allowed you to make any excuses. And 
but they were great teachers. They were great mentors. And that's what we have just surrounded ourselves and our players with over here. And we're going to keep doing that. It's important to us. Yeah, coach. I mean, when you talk about, you know, elevating and coaching, I mean, when you go to spring football, because I think we're actually about to get back to playing football here sooner rather than later. Is there a position group that you are demanding more of or asking to elevate more when it comes to spring ball? Well, I mean, there's no great um, fall camp or season without having a great winter and a great spring. So we're going in steps and we have absolutely gotten after it during the winter conditioning program. We've got one more week and they know what's coming next week is going to kick their you know what's you know as we prepare for spring ball and, and around here spring ball is real it's not a uh you know it's not a carnival it's not a, a show piece it's just kind of hang out we're going to go and the groups that that are going to be challenged i i can't find a group that's not going to be challenged i don't see a single group that waltz in there and say hey we're good you know it's just it doesn't exist you know and i think uh it's so important to establish an identity right like I think our players are are starting to understand what it is to be a Miami Hurricane. And that's my job. I got to teach that, right? Before you go out and kick anybody else's, before you go out and win or beat anybody else, you got to understand who you are first. And our players are understanding more and more the work ethic, the responsibility that comes with being a Miami Hurricane. So between springs, uh, you know, all the practices that we have, really working in situational football so we can improve our processes, right? As coaches, as players, myself as a coach, to make sure that, you know, these, you know, we went from year one where you get beat by a lot to year two, you win by a little, lose by a little. we got to find a way to win those games. And it falls on all of us, you know, myself included, you know, making sure we follow processes and create process that put us in situations to be successful. But recruiting never stops, brother. You know that. I mean, it all, you know, that's the one common denominator in all the great ones and all the great teams, great talent that works hard. Without question, the, the Jimmys and the Joes over the X's and the O's. Well, Coach, last question for you. First game, it's going to be in Gainesville. Uh, any Cuban coffee before that one in the swamp, or are we, we good just going on uh, all the natural fuel? You know, I think when that week comes around, and, and again, it's the most boring answer in sports, right? Coach doesn't want to talk about game one. So <laughs> uh, I'm going to fall right in line with all those boring responses, man. We uh, The most important thing for us, like literally right now, is that we hammer away at this heavy lift day that we have. And the speed day that we had to follow up and make sure that we we just drive home the principles and values to progressing uh, and going to spring ball. And, and then when fall camp comes around, we'll dive more into that. You know, we've got a great schedule. You've seen it. And we play some great teams at some really tough places to play. And our players are fully aware of that. But to be really good then, you've got to be really good in the spring and become a contributor to the team. And to do that, the offseason, man, you know, January, February. And March leading up to spring ball, you've got to be an absolute professional and a, an absolute monster in your approach to the offseason to make the gains necessary to be a dude. Well, Coach, we appreciate all your time. We're excited to watch y'all get after it in the spring and then obviously well into the fall. But again, thank you again for making some time. Coach Cristobal, bring in the juice, man. I'll, I love just the approach from him talking about like, hey, we don't want to do this whole slogan. We don't want to win Twitter. We just want to go to work. And he understands where, my, where Miami is at. He understands they haven't been to where they want to be or expect to be here in some time. And so I've been on record for a while here being a big fan of Mario Cristobal. When he got hired to Miami, I think he brings the right things. I keep hearing that college football is a talent acquisition game. And Mario Cristobal continues to win on the talent acquisition side of things. So excited to see what they are in the spring and into the fall. And Cam Ward, man, a reason to be juiced.
if you're a fan in Coral Gables of what's going on at the U. I think just adding him to the mix, period, is going to elevate them offensively. You'd look at the young talent they have on that roster. Their top 10 class from 2023, it's going to cycle up another year. Expect more guys to contribute, not just to Francis Mawanoa or Ruben Bain. Like, they're going to have some dudes now. And uh, the ACC, we've said it many, many times, wide, wide open. So we'll give you our projection rankings for the ACC here in just a matter of moments. Also going to give you our thoughts on that whole Kentucky video that leaked yesterday. Leaked might even be the wrong word. That came to light yesterday on the Twitter sphere. New Alabama got thoughts on that. Best non-conference college football games. Talk about that. Before we get to that, though, some changes potentially going on with the structure around National Signing Day. Now, National Signing Day, we do a show here at On3 every single signing day for every single signing period. Might be adding one more of those to the mix, it sounds like. So, to kind of make sense of all this, the man that I am tied at the hip with every single National Signing Day for an hour, sometimes multiple hours at a time, Josh Newberg, National Recruiting Analyst for On3. Josh, what's up, baby? How we living? Reporting live for duty on the hard count. Ready to go. How we doing, man? How we doing? How, what do we think about this? Okay, they're talking about adding another National Signing Day to June, potentially. I've seen people be vehemently against this. I've seen some people say, hey, that's great. Let the kids sign early. Where do you fall in this whole thing, Josh? Is it a good idea? Uh, I mean, I got to just roll with the punches, but I, I'm optimistic. I mean, nothing's going to be perfect, so let's just get that out of the way right now. College football has never been completely fair. It's never been perfect, and this is another example of that. But I do think it kind of clears some of the chaos out of the month of December between the transfer portal, the playoffs, conference championships, the coaching carousel. There's just so much going on. And from somebody that covers recruiting year-round, um, I like the fact that we're taking recruiting back. Uh, when when there was the sole signing day, when there was only one signing day in February, January was recruiting season. You had the, the, the weeks of visits that led up to signing day, and you had a lot of recruits making their decisions on that February signing day. There was a lot of excitement. The focus was purely on recruiting because the football season was was over. And now I feel like we're getting back a little bit to that recruiting season because the month of June, I mean, just in our short time working together here at On3, the month of June and July has replaced November, December, January as the quote-unquote recruiting months on the calendar. So having signing day at the end of June, to me, I mean, maybe I would have put it in July had, had I been making the rules, but I, I, I like the end of June. Everybody's coming off those official visits. It feels like a good time for, for recruits to sign. I mean, you and I spoke to a lot of recruits at the end of May last year, and you, got, you just got the sense that these guys were dialed in to, if they, if they weren't already committed already, they were really dialed in to, what, two, maybe three teams? I mean, hey, now you can take your official visits in the spring and the summer, and at the end of summer, you can decide. Does coaching change make, make a difference? Yes, of course it does. But coaching change makes a difference whether signing days in January, February, December. It doesn't really matter. So um, I'm eager to see you know, how this takes shape, if and when it does. We'll see whether this takes shape for 2024, probably more likely 2025. But uh, I'm excited for it for the most part. 
It kind of seems like we should just make it July 5th, Josh. Everyone and their mama wants to commit on July 4th. Let's move that signing to July 5th. You make your commitment on the 4th, bada bing, bada boom, July 5th. You put pen to paper. Um, kidding, of course, but genuinely, like, there's a lot of people kind of parachuting into this whole discussion around, well, we want to add another signing day. What does that do to the rest of the signing days? What we're talking about here is moving that December signing day to right. the week of conference championship games. Now, you talked about this with me yesterday before we got on the air here. It was like, hey, if you move that day to the conference title week, like who does that hurt? The team's actually playing in the conference title game. I mean, is, is that not something that just kind of hamstrings the teams that have success? You're penalized on the recruiting side of things because you won a lot of games during the regular season. Is that fair? I mean, I know there's no perfect situation, but that feels like yeah, counterintuitive in some ways. Take a team like a Georgia. And, it, and if they have a class of 25 recruits, they're probably going to, in June, I'm going to just, you know, ballpark here. But I think by the end of June, they're going to have 17 to 20 to 22 commitments by then. Well, if Georgia is doing what Georgia does, then that means, yes, they're competing in the conference championship game. But they're also not having a coaching change situation. So the guys that are already committed, yeah, they're they're probably handicapped that week a little bit because they have they have, they are a lot because they have game prep. Um, but then again, their class is probably full because they were winning and you don't have to worry about coach attrition. So the guys that you already signed, it's not like you're still recruiting them through the whistle there. They're signed to you. So um I I you know I think that's a good position to be in if you're a team that is out and you're winning and hey that uh, the wins do the recruiting for you in a sense well josh here's my question when it comes to evaluating these kids like we don't even put our final rankings out for our respective classes until after they play their senior season so for these coaches like is there not the chance that you're going to miss a late bloomer who has a great senior season and pops on the on the radar, like an Arian Carter of sorts? I mean, I remember him. He was a guy that was, I think he was committed to Memphis at one point in time and then ended up blowing up because of, I believe it was his first four games of his senior season. And then everyone in their mama was offering him and he committed. So are we going to miss out on some of those players, Josh, because we shrink this eval window for teams? I kind of think that's a player's decision. He has to understand his market. And if he, he doesn't have to sign in June, if Arian Carter felt like he was going to have a huge senior season, maybe he doesn't commit to Memphis or sign, you know, in the future, sign with Memphis mm -hmm. in the summer, and he waits and he goes into because you can still sign in December, so you could still conceivably sign that with you know Memphis in June, or you could sign mm -hmm. with Memphis in December, but in between you might want to wait it out and see how your senior tape looks, and you might have a lot more interest. So. I think that's going to be something that, that is definitely worked through. I think that'll be one of the more intriguing aspects of the June signing day is how these evals go. How many spots do teams reserve for those late evals? How do recruits handle it? If you're committed to a USF or you're committed to a program like a Memphis or a Tulane, maybe you don't sign in, in June. Maybe you wait till December if you're committed to a program like that. So uh, with any changes, there's going to be new strategy involved. And what, that's kind of what we do on the On3 Recruits channel. We, we break it all down. We do the science. We talk recruiting. And with these new rules, we're going to have a lot to talk about. Yeah, I mean, actually, make sure you're subscribed to the On3 Recruits channel. Josh Newberg, crushing it with the inside scoop. Philip Dukes, the five-star flex. Like, go, go check out the On3 Recruits channel. That's also where we do our National Signing Day show. So just making sure you're covered recruiting year-round because it's obviously becoming even more and more of a year-round thing than it already was. Josh, who does this hurt? 
because it, on paper you're like okay more signing days kids have more opportunities to sign if you're a coaching staff maybe you're able to put some hay in the barn earlier like what is the what is the negative effects here we've talked about it a little bit what, what's like the drawbacks here of going with three signing days and rearranging this calendar if we go as we're talking about it yeah i think there's always unintended consequences and we saw that with the december signing day. we see that with everything because as we said in the beginning College football isn't fair, recruiting sure isn't fair, and there's no way to make it fair without causing issues for others. So in this case, I think the two glaring ones that stand out would be uh, with, with recruits, what happens if there's a coaching change? How locked in are you? How, how full are some of these other classes? Maybe you have to stick it out because these other classes are full because of what they signed in June. So I, I could see that, you know, the, the way that the coaching carousel moves, uh, that could certainly impact. And then also for coaching, like what we talked about with evals, what if an offensive lineman, we talk with Charles Power all the time about how offensive linemen are one of the hardest positions to eval because they mature a little bit later in the high school cycle, uh, meaning like their senior year. So some of these guys, I don't know, it, it's going to be a strategy that coaches have to work through. You know, there's always teams that kind of come out when, like when we saw the transfer portal. There's teams that come out and they seem to know how to take advantage of the transfer portal. And then the next year, everybody catches up and somebody else has to figure out a way to do something mm -hmm. a little bit different and find a way to take advantage of the new rules. So um, I think it's something we're going to see. There's definitely speed bumps involved. There's definitely things where... Uh, you know, a coaching change in, in December or, hey, what about the NFL coaching carousel where things tend to open up after two signing days now have already taken place? So, yeah, there's going to be a lot of things that we have to watch for, a lot of excitement, a lot of kind of pitfalls, things that we don't see coming. But eventually, you know, the, they'll, they'll adapt to it and we'll find some teams do it better than others, just like in regular recruiting, just like the transfer portal. And what do you always tell me? We all cut our own deals. <laughs> we do. We all yeah. cut our own deals. All right, so this is the furthest thing from a political show, Josh, but I'm going to ask you for your vote. If you had a vote on the current thing being talked about with what we've talked about already this segment, you move that December day to conference championship weekend. I think February stays the same. You install the June window. Are you voting yes or no on that proposition? I'm voting yes. Uh, I'm voting yes. That's how I would vote. Uh, you know, at me on Twitter if you don't agree with me, but that's how I'm voting. I'm voting for change. Okay. Guys, make sure I pencil your vote. So we got one for yes. Uh, we'll take a poll of the rest of the college football landscape and hopefully get this thing headed to uh, whatever college football What about your is. vote? That's what I care about. Uh, you know, I'm, I trust people like you, Josh, to be honest, because I think – the pulse you have for this whole thing is a really good compass for, for someone like me who focuses so much on the college football side of things and then also obviously pays attention to recruiting, but the way that you covered in the weeds. I think I'm concerned about the eval part, the eval part of this for staffs. I think yeah. the, the more data you can get on a kid, the better it's going to serve them. And also, I think someone else tweeted this out. I forget who it was, but they were saying, we're going to see kids sit out their senior year. So if we get that kind of kickback from it, which I wonder if we would in an NIL era, where like, hey, I got X amount of million dollars waiting on me at X university, and if I get hurt my senior year, that all goes away, I'd be, I'd be really disappointed to see that kind of culture leak in. So if we get that result, I'd say no. But based on, based on the fact that we have kids already making decisions as early as, as, early as we are, uh, I think signing early could be a good deal. Yeah, I think there needs to be a couple more changes. So. Yeah. Head coaches need to be allowed out on the road for evals. During the May eval period, 
head coaches aren't allowed on the road, which I don't understand. It's their program, all the pressures on them, and their assistants are out there having to convey what they see to the head coach. I don't know why you can't just let a head coach out, but with a June signing day, I think that the head coaches could be on the road in May. They could also do in-home visits in May because we know December and January is big for in-home visits with head coaches. That's when they're allowed out on the road for the contact period uh, off campus. So now maybe the NCAA says, hey, head coaches can hit the road in May. You can do evals and you can do in-home visits at the same time, knock them both out, and that's your time on the road. It would, To me, it would make a little bit more sense. Uh, I never understand why coaches are allowed to go – I mean, it makes sense that they're allowed to go into a, a recruit's home and sit with the family, but why are they not allowed to watch them on the football field? Like, yeah. I, I don't understand that. So hopefully uh, there's a couple more changes. These are We're getting a little bit in the weeds on some of the details, sure. but I think with a couple more tweaks, it could be a lot better. Yeah, that's the other part. Like, personnel departments across the country are already working, what, like 12-plus hour days? Mm -hmm. And then the, you, you sprinkle in another signing day. I'm sure that just amplifies their workload so like you said at the top of this thing which was a perfect preface no perfect solution we're doing our best we need more regulation in college, college football is not fair it's never fair. been fair let's not try to make it fair but let's try to m make it a little bit better make it make sense a little bit more and i think that's what the summer signing day would do to the current climate of college football Nature of the beast, baby. Nature of the beast. Josh, what we got coming on the inside scoop over on, on three uh, recruits channel? Let's yeah, we got a in. big show today. We are talking with Rusty Mansell of Dogs Ooh. HQ. We're talking Jeffrey Lee of Auburn Live. I think we got Charles Power on this show. It's it, it's a fun season of recruiting. It never stops, and that's what we do on the On3 Recruit channel. 365 days out of the year, all recruiting, all the time. Can't stop, won't stop. Again, On3 Recruit <laughs> channel. Get locked in over there. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss the inside scoop or the five-star flex recruiting coverage yeah. year-round, as Josh just mentioned. Josh, you're the man, brother. I appreciate you jumping in here and uh, talking some ball with us, making sense of this whole National Signing Day calendar madness. I appreciate you, brother. That's the man. That's the man, Josh Newberg. Hey, follow him on Twitter, too, to stay locked in. Up to the very minute when it comes to recruiting in the wild world that is college football. Everyone tuned in live. Make sure you like the video. Make sure you've subscribed. All that good stuff. It just helps us. Helps us get the show to more people. Helps amplify the platform. Amplify the show as a whole. So we uh, greatly appreciate that. Let's move right along here. Projection rankings. They're back, baby. And they're not going anywhere. Not going anywhere. Now, we did this for the SEC. Did it for the Big Ten. Let's take a look at what's going on in the ACC. Now, full disclaimer, we always have to do this at the top of these segments. These are not predictions. These are not power rankings. This is us tracking a trend and making an educated assessment on that trend. All right. So, when it comes to where things stand in the ACC, who do you project the top five teams to be over the course of the next three years? Your factors that you want to use to make your definitive statements on this, on those top five teams, totally yours. Full transparency, here's our factors. I've said it for the other conferences. I'll say it again so we're all synced up here. Leadership, leadership stability. Is your head coach going to be there for the course of those next three years? If he's in this top five, you feel relatively solid about your chances there. Roster base, what do you have in-house already? And then your ability to acquire more talent. Talking portal, talking recruiting, talking all that. Now, when it comes to commitment to ball, it's no secret now. College football is changing as a landscape. NIL, not, no, not, not so much a, a, a desire, more of a need. Like, you got to have the NIL in place to attract top talent and land top talent. Also, just being committed to 
giving your your football team what they need to succeed, period. Whether it be resources from NIL, like I just said, could be facilities, whatever it is. Making sure there's alignment there from football to the powers that be. Got to have synchronization there to be effective. Trend for us played a massive role in how we put this top five together. So let's jump right into it, baby. At number five, I think NC State is the number five team in the ACC if you were to average it out over the course of the next three years. And the reason why I have NC State at number five, I just know what I'm getting in Dave Doran. I know what kind of football team they're going to be. They're tough. They're physical. They're competitive. It does not matter who they lost. doesn't matter who they have coming back. You're getting the same brand of football. Utah's this way. Iowa's this way. Doesn't matter what change from personnel with Dave Doran running the show. This is how it's going to be. Sorry about it. Now, haven't lost I'll rephrase that. They haven't won less than eight games since 2019. Okay, so that tells you the the floor for this team overall, if you're going to average it out pretty high, they recruit at a pretty mid-tier level, but you have seen them get a little bit more in the NIL space. You'd have to believe Landon, the the quarterback that did in Grayson McCall, I don't think a quarterback comes at a low price point when you look at what happens in the transfer portal. So I think they're getting more involved at that level. I think they have more of the commitment that they need at that level. They're a team that's consistently done more with a lower-ranking recruiting class. I don't expect that to change. NC State, for us, the number five team in the ACC for us, projecting over the course of the next three years. Now, at number four, this was a tricky one. A couple of ways to go here. It's a small sample size, so again, we're trusting the trend pretty strongly here. How about Jeff Brom in Louisville? I got the cards at number four, man. Jeff Brom, try this on for size. I think he could be the Lane Kiffin of the ACC, and not with how he operates on Twitter, though we need more Lane Kiffin kind of Twitter head coaches in college football. He's taken 27 transfers in 2023 and 26 transfers in 2024. So north of 25 transfers, both of the years he's been there, he clearly has the support and the resources he needs to build his roster through the portal. I think in the small sample size, their trajectory is obviously really encouraging. Having played for the ACC last season, and given Florida State a pretty good game with their backup quarterback, but still, the fact that you were in that game with Jeff Brom running the show as early as he is in his time in Louisville gives me encouragement. I don't think that the way they're recruiting at the high school level right now will stay stagnant. If I had to guess, I think Jeff Brom is probably building through the portal, trying to correlate and and translate that to success right away, And then when they have success on the field, that in itself is going to trickle down and impact recruiting at the high school level. So if you're not thrilled with the recruiting rankings right now at the high school level, keep in mind that you're pushing the portal pretty heavily. And so that does kind of change your scholarship count. It would not surprise me if if their recruiting started to really pick up because of the success they've had on the field. So Louisville with their head coach there and Jeff Brom, it's obviously his alma mater with uh, him having played at Louisville. Just making sure we say that because I think the stability he has being there, as long as he wins, obviously, I don't see him leaving for another job anytime soon. And number three, we'll get some pushback here for uh, having them higher or lower. There's no mixed opinions on on this team, or there's there's no weak opinions on this team, rather. I got Clemson at number three. There's going to be a lot of Dabo Sweeney jokes in the comments section. Bring them all. Bring them all. Have they embraced the portal? Do they need to? Absolutely. Have they achieved the way they expect to achieve there? No. At least in recent history. Like, they won the ACC two years ago, and still you got people saying, well, Davos Sweeney's washed, he's this, he's that. They won the ACC two years ago. He's got not one, but two national championships to his resume. That matters to me with the leadership component of this whole thing. I think if they were to embrace the portal, 
they'd be a lot higher on this list. It doesn't change the fact they're trending backwards right now, given uh, what they've done, that small sample size of the last couple of years. But for me, they're still recruiting at a really high level in relation to the rest of the ACC. Like Clemson is still going to be top three in this conference for the most part year in and year out. And then so you have a solid roster base. You're acquiring talent at a solid level, at the high school level at least, got to get the portal. But you have a culture and a buy-in level there that where guys who come to Clemson, they know what they're signing up for. Nobody is confused when, when they get to Clemson, South Carolina, and they hear Dabo Sweeney talking about things doing his way in their culture. Like everyone gets what they're signing up for. And so that buy-in that comes with a unique coach like Dabo Sweeney with that unique culture, I think at the end of the day, that's a huge net positive, And you see that translate on the field. So just because it hasn't happened the way that you would like it to if you're a Clemson Tiger fan over the last couple of years, I don't think that's reason to panic. To me, I still think they're a top three team in this conference. And uh, I mean, you can't overlook the fact that Dabo Sweeney has been as successful as he has throughout the course of his career. So number three, I got the Clemson Tigers there. And the top two now, so where it gets a little bit more... Uh, a little bit more intense. My number two team in the ACC over the course of the next three seasons, I'm going to go ahead and projection rank Miami at that number two spot. And for me, we talked about it at the top of this segment. We are betting on the trend. No way around it. You're betting on the trend here. The talent acquisition game for Mario Cristobal is nice. Okay, you keep telling me, hey, you got to acquire talent in college football to win. Everyone says that. Talent acquisition this. Acquire talent that. Portal this. Portal that. Recruit this. Mario Cristobal, since he's been at Miami, 2023, top 10 class, number eight. 2024, top five class, number five class in the country. Both years, top of the ACC. Using the portal to their advantage, obviously, landing a guy like Cam Ward. And so you see that talent acquisition side of things. You say, okay, well, where's the results? People talk about, oh, he's got to take a knee, oh, seven and five, this. Like, it's, it's all fun to win Twitter and stuff like that. I get it. If I had a strong disposition towards Miami, I'd probably take that low-hanging fruit too. But here's the reality. Miami, from year one to year two under Cristobal, whether it's showing up in the win-loss column or not, and it has to a degree, seven and five from five and seven the year before, they are getting better. They're getting better. It's a simple statement, but I think it holds a lot of weight. Total defense, number 64 nationally in 2022, uh, number 24 nationally in 2023. Talk about the offense. Yards per play, 89th nationally to 22 nationally. And that was with a team that still turned the ball over about as much as anybody else in the country. With a quarterback who really struggled for a large part of the year in Tyler Van Dyke. Cam Ward, he's got to fix those fumbles, but he throws a heck of a lot less interceptions than TVD did. It's not me knocking TVD. I'm just saying you have an upgrade with Cam Ward. That's reason for some excitement and reason for some, uh, some expectation there. Talk about the commitment level at Miami. Very, very high. They'll play ball. They'll play ball when it comes to what they need from a resources and a roster building point of view. By nature of landing Cam Ward, that should tell us, I think, a, a fair amount. I'm, I'm not saying I have inside information on anything about these quarterbacks, but you land a top quarterback, common sense says that comes at a decent price point. So you talk about Miami. You talk about what they haven't done yet under Mario Cristobal. We had him on the show a moment ago. The thing for me with Miami, and I said this about Texas too when Sark got there and they had their 5-7 and seven season. Miami is going through a lifestyle change, to use a metaphor here. Like, think about it this way. Whenever you are living unhealthy, you're eating junk food, you're not working out, whenever you go through that lifestyle change of doing things the right way, which I believe Mario Cristobal and Miami are doing things the right way currently behind closed doors, at first you have some really adverse effects. You were eating junk food, now you're eating veggies. Guess what? You feel sick. 
You're like, is this bad for me? No, it's not bad for you. You just got to go through some growing pains. You just have to go a little bit of, uh, you know, an acclimation period to get to where you want to go. You start working out a little bit. You weren't working out at all. You start running a mile every day. Guess what? You're going to be sore. You're going to have some muscles that really don't feel that great the day after you do the right things. Same thing with Miami. Culturally, there were issues. Roster-wise, there were issues. There were things not being done the correct way, whether it be from a high-level roster building standpoint, whether it be from a just straight-up preparation standpoint. There's going to be some adverse effects. You've seen that now. Five and seven, nobody's signing up for five and seven at Miami. Nobody's saying seven and five is good enough at Miami, but guess what? They're doing the right things behind closed doors, and you're seeing that trend on paper. And I think we're going to see that trend in the win-loss column show up in a big way here in 2024. No predictions just yet, but for me, over the course of the next three years, I'd put Miami in that two spot. Now, the number one team over the course of the next three seasons in the ACC, I'm rolling with Coach Norvell in Florida State. And yes, a lot of things are going to change for Florida State because of who they brought in through the portal from last year to this year. They're 83rd in returning production. And there's a lot of things said about Mike Norvell. He relies too heavily on the portal. Say what you want, man. The guys that portal in there, they fit really well. They have a lot of success. Keon Coleman, Jared Verse, Johnny Wilson, Braden Fisk. Say what you want. Guys that transfer to Florida State, they have success. Okay, well, what about the recruiting side of things, J.D.? That matters when it comes to this list, right? It totally does. Florida State, from 2023 to 2024, they're up 10 spots. They're sitting at the number 12 class in the entire country right now. Talk about 2025, at the time of us being live right now, they have a top 10 class in the entire country. Now, a long way to go till signing day, but you see what I'm saying here. The on-field product is starting to trickle, I think, towards the high school level. I don't think the plan for Mike Norvell was always to rely on the portal the way that he does. But tell you what, man, Florida State is about as good as anybody else of being successful with the portal. That Mike Norvell trust factor for me, when it comes to what Florida State will be over the course of the next three seasons, the personnel is going to change. The coaches will probably change too, you have to believe, if you have the success you want to have. And I'm not predicting that. I'm just saying, with success, people want to hire your coaches. We'll see if that happens or not. But I think Mike Norvell being the temperature setter in Tallahassee matters a lot. And that's a big reason why I think Florida State will be where they're at. Now, I think it's also important to note here that Mike Norvell isn't going anywhere. <laughs> the Alabama job became available, and uh, we got to see exactly where everyone stood on staying where they're at or going somewhere else. Because Alabama, man, it's an attractive job. Say what you want about following Nick Saban, man. The resources, the brand power, it's an attractive job. And Mike Norvell enhanced his deal. Enhanced his deal. He said, Florida State's where I want to be, which should tell you everything that you need to know about how Mike Norvell feels about his chances to win in Tallahassee. If you don't think you can get it done at your current spot, you go somewhere else. Mike Norvell says, I want to stay here. He told, he told us on our, on our interview on Tuesday, he's like, people make the place. And I feel really good about the people here. So with that being said, I think the culture he has in place, the standard he has in place, that's what wins. That's what's getting it done for them. And as long as they keep attacking the talent side as, as they are, and we'll see if it kind of evens out from poor to the high school level over the course of the next couple of years. But his process, man, last thing I want to say, his process he talks about it in a different way, but he talks about the process and the day-tight compartments, taking it day by day, focusing on growth. He talks about it the exact same way that Nick Saban did. And I'm not saying the exact same way in terms of the word to use. I'm talking about the consistency, the focus, like hammering home, hey, one day at a time. So 
I'm not saying Mike Norvell's Nick Saban, but I am saying Florida State's in very good hands, and I'm excited to see how they trend over the course of the next couple of seasons. So to recap it for you here, our projection rankings within the ACC are as follows with the top five. At, at uh, number five, we got NC State. I know what I'm getting. It's a Dave Doran coach football team. At number four, we got Louisville. The Brahm squad, man, they're just getting started. I like what they got going there. I like the commitment, too, from the powers that be to get what they need. At number three, I got Clemson. Say what you want about Dabo. Dude's got a tremendous resume. They're going to recruit in the top three of the conference. Tremendous, tremendous buy -in. Number two, I got Miami. I'm betting on the trend, man. Betting on the trend. Arrow is pointing up. They acquire talent better than anybody else in this conference at the high school level. I'm excited about Mario Cristobal and company. At number one, you got Florida State. The Mike Norvell factor, man. I think they're building something. I don't think they're done. So let me know in the comment section, in the live chat, who you would have in your top five when it comes to your projection rankings in the ACC. I also put out a tweet on Twitter, a tweet on X. What are you going to call that? What do you, what, what do you want, guys want to call that? I'll put a post on my social platform that was formerly Twitter. Now it's called X and asked for y'all's opinion on this. So get at me on there. Get at me on here and let me know. We talked about Bama at the end of last segment. I want to keep talking about Bama right now. There was some news that came out yesterday. And news is probably even the wrong word to use. There was something that came to light yesterday that the new head coach of Alabama, Kalen DeBoer, doesn't curse. I mean, he's a head football coach in the SEC. So you have to believe he's probably in the minority there. But this kind of made a little bit of a, of a ripple effect of sorts. Not a massive one, but a ripple effect nonetheless in February in college football. So we'll talk about that right now. Hey, quickly though, make sure you're locked in here. Make sure you're subscribed. Alabama fans, Georgia fans, Michigan fans, Charleston Southern fans, whatever team you're a fan of, we respect, love, celebrate college football every single day of the year, not just when they're playing games. So if you're watching this as a one-off clip, there's a live show we do. Three days a week, 11 a.m. Eastern, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Get locked in with us. Thank you so much. All right. Like I was saying, Kalen DeBoer doesn't curse. Kind of made news. Andy Staples and Paul Feinbaum actually chopped it up about this yesterday, and it was a, a fun conversation to listen to. And uh, this is a great segue, I think, into how we can assess Kalen DeBoer and, and how we should assess Kalen DeBoer with his new era beginning in Tuscaloosa. Because I think the difference is really showing here between the Washington Huskies job and the Alabama Crimson Tide job. When you're a head coach in the SEC, much less at a place like Alabama with that script day, every single move, every single thing you say is going to be talked about, analyzed, scrutinized. Doesn't really help your case either that you're following the greatest head football coach of all time in Nick Saban. So bottom line, everything you do, there will be an opinion on it. And there was a lot of opinions on Kalen DeBoer. And I just want to make sure we say this too, for the Alabama fan base, like they know one speed. They've known one speed for the last 17 years. That is excellence. That is pedal to the metal. That is pushing the envelope. That is the standard. That is Nick Saban. All right. So it might take a second here for not just the Bama fan base, but the college football public as a whole to sort of acclimate to a Kalen DeBoer, Alabama. Now, I would also make sure we, we mention that anything that Kalen DeBoer does that is different than Nick Saban is going to probably create a little bit of a reaction. Because the thought will be, well, Nick Saban did it this way. He's the greatest of all time. Kalen DeBoer does it what way? That's not what Saban did. Are we sure he's the right guy? Are we sure he's the guy for the job? I, I would just caution you of that because I think the quicker we can get on board with Kalen DeBoer's Alabama, as opposed to Nick Saban's Alabama, the happier you're going to be. You brought in Kalen DeBoer to be Kalen DeBoer. You didn't bring Kalen DeBoer in to do a Nick Saban impersonation. You came here to get similar results. 
You brought him there to win national championships, but Kalen DeBoer is successful because he's done things his way. I'll say it again, 104 and 12. Whatever Kalen DeBoer has done, it's worked. Now, if you have reservations, totally fair. We'll talk more about those here in a second. But I just want to make sure we caution the offense is going to look different. It's not going to be a Nick Saban-led Alabama team. Now, he's in the building, obviously. He's in that stadium. He's got a nice little office, but he's, he's not running the thing. Defense is going to look different. Spring practice is going to look different. Heck, media access is already looking different. you got folks in the media world surprised by how much they can talk to the staff and, and talk to Kalen DeBoer. And I, for one, as a college football fan, and all for more access, but it's going to look different. It's going to sound different. Let Kalen DeBoer be Kalen DeBoer. Kalen DeBoer and how much he wins or loses is going to craft a narrative around how much he is received in Tuscaloosa. Right? Like, we all understand this. I mean, Dabo Sweeney, we talked about already on this live show a little bit. Uh, Dave Aranda at Baylor is a, probably a perfect example for this whole discussion. Whatever you do on the football field, people then craft their narrative around you as a head coach. Like the whole, Kalen DeBoer doesn't swear. If they start losing, he's not intense enough for the SEC. He's not built how you got to be built to coach SEC football. Hey, it's a new level around here. You, you got to... Got to have a little bit of extra energy around you to be, to be a head coach in the SEC. Same thing with Dave Aranda. When he was winning at Baylor, I was in Waco at that point in time. Dave Aranda is stoic. He's unflappable. He's just playing chess. He's ahead of the game. He doesn't let the, the moment get too big for him. They start losing. Hey, he needs to show more emotion. He's not fiery enough. Is Dave Aranda soft? Those are the things that start being said by nature of your results. If Kalen DeBoer starts winning those, same thing's going to be said about him. He's high character. He does things his way. He, he's, he's above all the extra noise. He doesn't swear. He doesn't let his emotions get to him. Personally, just without even having played any games yet under uh, Kalen DeBoer at Alabama, I think him not cursing tells you, all right, he doesn't care. He's, he's got a certain amount of self-control to him. He's going to keep his emotions in check. He's, he has a certain way of doing things. He sticks to that. He doesn't care about whatever the other status quo is in college football. So I, for one, have a ton of respect for that. But you look at what he's going to be in the future, like I, I just think it's way too early to have any definitive statement on what he's going to be at Alabama. He's not going to be Nick Saban. I can tell you that much. So when it comes to how you should assess him, my opinion would be give it two years to form an opinion, two seasons that is, have a valid opinion by year three. It's a long time. It's a tough job. Coaching college football is really, really hard. Really, really hard. But I would say don't get caught up on the Nick Saban thing because a lot of other coaches that aren't Nick Saban won national championships. They all did it different ways. Now you still have the same commitment to excellence and the same commitment to acquiring talent and the same commitment to development, all those things. You commit to the right things, but how you do it, it's going to change. And it's going to change here for, for Kalen DeBoer. So going back to what I said, give it two years, see how he recruits, see what that sample size is, see how he puts together the roster, see how he reacts to the SEC and just the different beast that that is. And then by year three, you'll kind of know. You'll kind of have a good gauge for things. When you know, you'll know. But this is a new era under Kalen DeBoer in Alabama. Uh, this is going to be a new brand. This is going to be a new operation. New is not bad. New is just new. New is different. And different takes some getting used to. But I'll tell you what, man. We're excited to watch it. I feel like I say that at the end of every single segment. We're excited to watch it, as we always are. Uh, heck, we're excited to watch spring practice. That's how we feel about college football on this show. Another thing we're excited to watch, non-conference college football games. You look across the schedule here, man, there's a lot of good ones. And I was putting this together yesterday, full transparency. The 
games that look to be non-conference when you go up and down the, the schedules online, a lot of those games actually are just going to be interconference games. Like to, to give you a better example here, I'm going week by week yesterday, checking, okay, what do we got week zero? What do we got week one? So on and so forth. And you see certain games, you're like, oh, Oregon plays Ohio State. It's going to be a great non-conference game. Uh-uh. Big Ten conference game. Oklahoma and Tennessee, ooh, that'll be fun. Good non-conference game. They played before non-conference. Back when Baker was there at Oklahoma. That's going to be a lot of fun. SEC conference game. So we're all, we're all about that. It's going to be a blast. But it was uh, a little bit of a uh, mind-bending exercise to put this together. But I just want to tell you all, man, week one is absolutely stacked. Looking at these college football games, week one, you got Miami at Florida. Major optics game. Major, major optics game. Both coaches were hired at the same time. Napier at Florida, Cristobal at Miami. This is going to be massive to tell us whether it's true or not. It's going to be the narrative coming out of this game. Who is further along? Who's done a better job since being hired? This is really a show-me year for both sides, both in Gainesville and in, and in uh, Coral Gables. I also think it's massive for recruits. Like, there's a lot of in-state battles going on now between the Gators and the Canes, and whoever wins that one can then pitch, oh, you don't want to go there. We just beat them. So, major, major impact on that one. Clemson and Georgia in Atlanta. Georgia favored by 12 and a half. I have to believe that both teams feel like this is a, a point-to-prove kind of year. Georgia, I've said it many times, I think they were the best team in college football last year if they were healthy. Now, not about being the best team on paper. you got to go prove it. And so Georgia didn't win the national championship last year. But it starts in the opener for both Clemson and Georgia. For Clemson, if they win this game, we talked through this on a previous show because one of y'all shot us a, uh, a surprising headline of Clemson beating Georgia. If Clemson wins this game, talk about the belief that would inject into that team. The, okay, we can do it kind of feeling for them. Because it seems like they are sort of on the doorstep of a lot of those games. The Florida State game was one that we were at last year, and they really had that one won until a massive strip sack kind of changed the course of that game, forced overtime, didn't get it done. The belief around Clemson, South Carolina, if you beat Georgia in Atlanta to open the year, absolutely huge. Another week one game, LSU and USC. is going to be a Sunday game in Vegas. LSU currently favored by six. Another year three versus year three situation in Brian Kelly versus Lincoln Riley. We have a year three versus year three in Miami and Florida and Napier and Cristobal. Whole lot of new in this one. Whole lot of new for both sides. New quarterbacks. I think it's Miller Moss for USC. They're going to battle during camp out there in Los Angeles. Garrett Nussmeyer for LSU. Getting the reins after Jaden Daniels won the Heisman last year. Uh, new DCs for both sides. Dantlin at USC. LSU's got Blake Baker into the fold. Like, they're trying to you know, raise that brand of, of the defensive side of things for LSU. They're trying to get back to what they've been, and USC is just trying to be respectable on that side. I'm sure much more than that in-house, but you know, got some pieces to pick up. Really good temperature check for both of those teams with the conferences changing how they are. The SEC adding Oklahoma and Texas. USC is entering into the Big Ten. Both of these rosters, I believe, are going to be in the upper tier of, of the college football landscape. That's a relative term, obviously. USC, we're still wondering a little bit about that defense and the rest of the offense. But LSU's got some pieces to go make a national championship run, I believe, if Garrett Nussmeyer is who you think he's going to be. We're not finding out if they're a national title team in this game, but we'll learn a lot about what they have under the hood uh, in Los Angeles and in Baton Rouge. So that'll be a lot of fun. Now, week two, Texas is favored by two and a half points at Michigan. This is the first... Big game of the official Sharon Moore era. Now, of course, he had that three-game stretch to end the year last year. I don't think you say this one is bigger than Ohio State when they came to town last year and you won that game. But, like, this is, uh, is going to kind of be that alternate ending of last year's season. 
Like what happens if Adonai Mitchell comes down with that in the back of the end zone and they beat Washington, does Texas, and then we get Texas at Michigan, or Texas versus Michigan, rather, in Houston. Uh, I guess it'd be Michigan at Texas, and we're going to kind of call it by uh, the geographical locations. Is it going to be major for Texas getting a good gauge for them as they enter into the SEC? Uh, major for, for Michigan as they kind of set the tone for the Sharon Moore era. So big optics game there as well. Week three, Bama at Wisconsin. Just talked about Bama a little bit. This will be the first uh, power conference game for Kalen DeBoer and the Crimson Tide. If it was Nick Saban running the show, you're like, all right, cool. It'll be fun to watch. If I'm a Bama fan, maybe we make the trip out to Madison, explore Big Ten country while we get a quick dub. I don't think it's a guaranteed win this time. I'm not calling my shot here, but I'm just saying there's a lot more intrigue baked into a Bama-Wisconsin matchup, especially in Madison in this Week 3 game. And then for, for Wisconsin, this is your opportunity for Luke Fickle to get that signature win, to get the one that kind of kickstarts the, the Luke Fickle era in a much more exciting way. Not that last year wasn't good for Wisconsin. It was. It wasn't up to their standard, but I'm just saying for, for year two for Luke Fickle, if they can uh, get a win over Alabama, right, right after you play jump around and entering into that fourth quarter, like vibes would be very, very high in Madison. Have to believe that. Now, I also want to talk about this game here, and this, this is one that uh, is kind of a nice... Nice caveat, not a nice uh, jumping off point into the rest of their games. Like, we have Notre Dame going to Texas A&M in week one. That'll be a ranked matchup. It'll be electric having those two brands in College Station, in Kyle Field. Like, it'll be awesome. It's a Mike Elko era beginning. It's Mike Elko versus Riley Leonard. That'll be phenomenal. But, like, you look at Notre Dame, it's kind of a cop-out because they don't have a conference, obviously. So every single game they play is a non-conference game. Anyone who told you that Notre Dame doesn't play anybody, just lied to your face, just disrespectfully lied to your face because they're at A&M. They play Louisville September. I think it's September 21st. You play Florida State. That's likely a major college football playoff implications kind of game. And then you finish at USC. Also, potentially for Notre Dame, it could be a playoff game. Who knows about USC? They could jump out of there and surprise some people and find themselves in that 12-team uh, conversation. They're going to they're gonna earn their keep is Notre Dame. So a lot of exciting games for them, which we put in the non-conference category, but a lot of exciting games, period, that start for them at A&M in week one. So a lot of fun ones on the, on the docket there. A lot of fun ones on the docket. And uh, hoping and praying we find ourselves out at one of those games. All right, about to get to the live chat here in just a few short moments. So get those questions in and Nick break the keeper of the queue. I want to take this time, though, at the end of the show to just address a little, uh, little video that came out yesterday in the Twitter sphere. Little uh, little juice generating uh, February 28th by nature of uh, a locker room video that was, I don't know if leaked is the right word, that hit the timeline yesterday is maybe the better phrasing. There was a, a video that came out yesterday, two Kentucky football players in the locker room. I read an article that said it was after spring practice, and they're going at each other. Like they, I mean, they're, they're wailing on each other. One of them eventually puts the other in a headlock, and... The internet just ran with this one. It came out later that this was actually an older video. This wasn't something that just happened yesterday and got aired yesterday. It's, a, it's an older video. Um, like I said, Twitter had a field day. Twitter ran with this one. Some of it funny, some of it not so funny. And uh, I just think this really got blown out of proportion. Like, is it ever good to have a fight in your locker room? Of course not. <laughs> of course not. There, there's no way to spin that as a positive thing. You could say, oh, there's emotions running high. That's good. The guys are being competitive. No. Fighting in your locker room is not a good thing. That's true. It's also true 
that the college football locker room is not at all the real world. Not at all the real world. There are things that happen in a college football locker room that don't happen anywhere else. If you do what happened in that video in a 9-to-5, you're probably facing some legal charges. You do that in the college football locker room, you talk about it, probably there's a conversation between those two players at a later date. I don't have the proper context around this, but I just have to believe that these two players within the next month, maybe the next two weeks, were probably okay. It probably wasn't a thing that severed the relationship for the rest of time. And so what, what I think is important to note here, like just because you see things on a short Twitter clip, as Dan Lanning said after he uh, was asked about his comments in, in the locker room, talking about um, before they played Colorado, you know, they're playing for clicks, we're playing for wins. You get a, a window into the house. You get a quick little peek, get to see what's going on. That doesn't tell the whole story. These two players fighting doesn't scream about the dysfunction at Kentucky. Because that was kind of the narrative before we found out this video was old. Hey, Kentucky, do they have a culture problem? What's going on in the house? And then we go and look at what Kentucky did last season. They were really a, a field goal away, a couple plays away from being 8-4. and four. They finished 7-6 and six with the bowl game. The bottom line here, I don't think there's a culture problem at Kentucky. I do not feel that way at all. I actually... If, if there's a problem that we want to have with this whole video, my problem if I'm a player in that locker room is that this video got out. Hey, who thinks it's a good idea here to videotape family business that's happening here, whether it's good or bad, whether we're sending it to just our friends or whatever. Family business is family business. What happens in a college football locker room should not get leaked out to the rest of the public. We handle things here as a team, as a family, and we don't let anybody else have a conversation about it because they don't understand what we got going on in here. Now, again, hear me clearly. I am not excusing what happened. I don't think it's ever a good thing to have players fighting. But without the context, without the story, without everything else that is crucial to understanding that situation, we're just taking a peek in a window, trying to look inside the house, and make our own narrative from there. So I don't have a problem with this whole situation as much as I do the problem that it, that it got leaked from a player. So at the end of the day, I want to say this one more time, a college football locker room, is not the same as the real world. I have to believe these guys were probably, probably the key word there. I think they're probably more than fine after a couple of weeks. The world that it is. Also, spring practice, motions get high. Motions get hot, man. You're beating each other up for the course of 15 practices. Like, things get chippy at practice, man. You're tired, you're beat up. Kind of the way that it works. So, Keep on rolling here. We got Jared Stidham already in the chat saying he's got a gem for you, Nick. Yeah. Bringing on the keeper of the queue, Nick Break. Nick, what's popping, baby? How we doing? Dude, uh, he was, I think, going to ask it yesterday, and I didn't. Maybe he forgot to ask it. So, Jared, get that in for us, please. Go, uh, but before you do, uh, we'll get to OG Gary, who says, which teams have the most to prove in 2024 or has to stand up to the hype? One or two teams per Ooh, conference. One or two. You know what? I'll give you one or two teams. How about that? Yeah, that, that, so we for time restraints, rolling. that's probably better. Maybe, maybe it's a future video. Most approved team. Could I like be. that a lot. You know, I think Florida State still has something to prove. And I just made them my number one team over the course of the next three years in the ACC. I think a lot of people might pick them to win the ACC this year. I think you have something to prove that last year wasn't just the – pinnacle of the Jordan Travis and the Keon Coleman and the Jared Verse. Like, it wasn't just the right pieces at the right time. Because that happens in college football, and there's no shame in having a year where it all comes together for you. But I think the sustainability for some people might be in question for Florida State. Now's your chance to prove it. Now's your chance, man. 83rd in returning production is Florida State. 
That's going to be fun. I'm excited to see what they do. Uh, in terms of maybe a uh, said most approved kind of teams, I think Clemson's probably in there too. It's an ACC team, so I'm not spreading the love around the conference for you. But like Dabo Sweeney and company, everyone's questioning what they do. They don't use the portal. People question how much they're in the NIL game. Hey, do they, do they do the right things on offense? Do they have enough explosivity? Things that I've asked, actually. Do they have the right skill players to stretch the field? All those things can be put to rest by winning the ACC this year and going to the college football playoff. Now, it doesn't give us a perfect answer, but it does kind of turn the volume down on the Dabo Sweeney discussion and what he is or isn't doing right there in Death Valley. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, uh, J.D. Big Joe said I'd get to him yesterday, so I'm going to get to him now. Uh, does Boston College become a consistent 10-win team in five years with uh, Bill O'Brien? Uh, do you do they think they get a top 20 recruiting class every year with early uh, playing time and, high print and a high-profile coach? Playoffs by year five, transfer hotspot, a lot of optimism from Big Joe. What do you think? Big Joe bringing the juice, bringing the juice out there from, uh, I'm assuming he's in Boston. He's a Boston College fan, so he's, his heart is in Boston at least. Uh, shout out Dunkin' Donuts. Listen, I'll, I'll say this. I think adding Bill O'Brien was a net positive move. That was a good hire. Now, to have a good hire and have that translate to 10 wins consistently is asking a lot. The ACC is wide open, though. I will say that much. I think the ACC is up for grabs in some sense, but I do think that Boston College, from a roster talent standpoint, is not on the same playing field as a Miami, as a Florida State, heck, as a Clemson. Let's kind of let's, let's start to build this thing foundationally, and then let's circle back here in a couple of years and see where Boston College is at. So that, that would be my take on it. That'd be my take is I don't know if I think they're a 10-win team consistently, but I like the hire. I like the hire, and we'll, uh, we'll go from there. OG Gary's pretty happy that he might have created a segment down the road, by the way. There we go. Good uh, job, OG Gary. Let's end on Jared uh, Stidham today. Love it. Um, since we're all running out of time. Um, says, J.D., <laughs> it's your favorite topic. Uh, what's happening with college football? Is promotion and relegation system coming into play? Movement between Power 5 and G5 uh, relegation games. J.D., it would never work to do like an FCS to FBS kind of promotion no, relegation, but the Power that. 5, G5 thing, that could work. My question is just there's already so many other things you're dealing with logistically. Like that was the question too is Chip Kelly made a, made a great point. He's like, our softball team should be playing Arizona. This is Chip Kelly when he mm-hmm. was speaking from the UCLA head coach point of view. Our softball team at, Arizona, or at UCLA should go play Arizona. Our basketball team, they should go play the teams they're supposed to play like Football should be its own thing. So if we made that distinction, maybe that conversation gets more ground. My thing is just like the Big Ten and the SEC, they are obviously the, the big earners right now uh, in a large way because of, not in a large way, pretty much solely because of the TV contract they have locked in. Mm-hmm. So how does that work with the TV contracts? Like there's, there's so many hoops you got to jump through. And I think the, the conference levels, I like them being markers for regular season play as opposed to being like a hey sec and big 10 are up here from a difficulty level and the acc and the big 12 are down here now that might be how it goes in the future just so we're clear like that might be the future of college football is those are like the tier one divisions and we're actually labeling it that way i don't know about that i kind of like i I obviously like the way that it is with uh, the conferences how (laughs) they are but okay it, it gets talked about We've Bef- talked about. Before we go, Jay, I want to just because lo- I'm so passionate about promotion and relegation. I don't think it'll work in college football because not as much TV for me as it's just like non conference thing. It couldn't, you couldn't play non conference games because that disparity between what one team plays versus the other 
being the you know you get relegated because you're playing a good schedule like Florida did with non-conference this year playing Florida State and Miami but how it could work is if like ACC is absorbed by the SEC and it becomes the second division for that or, hmm. or the and the Big 12 maybe takes over the Big 10 so yeah. you're talking about like almost a not, not a farm system but like hey there is a clear distinction yes. the Big 10 owns X conference yes you're now a part of us however you are the second tier of our conference. Yeah, and I would like it maybe not be the ACC, SEC. Maybe all four of those have a lower level below them. But like maybe the lower one gets one playoff team, and the higher one gets three. So you have a better chance of. And then if you win the other conference, you get promoted the next season. I don't know, JD, but it, I hey, will man. tell you what it does. It makes regular season more important for the lower teams. You always want a regular season. That's true. That's important. Well, a four-win team doesn't have any play, anything to play for right now, but let's say they're at risk of getting relegated. It makes their games really mean a lot. I just wonder, here's my only concern with that. In a professional model, because mm -hmm. it's funny because it's, it's like, hey, anything could happen in college football, right? Like we're talking about a 14-team playoff and we had no playoff not that long ago. So yeah. I, I think it's, it's all on the table to a degree, I suppose. My issue is, if you get relegated in this scenario, what does that do to recruiting? Like, can you, yeah. can you recruit a kid who's going to be like, hey, you can come play for us. Maybe by year four, if you stick around, you can find your way into you know, this top tier and help your NFL. I mean, I don't, I don't know, but that's yeah. probably uh, well, that's a discussion. And that's why it won't work, because right now everyone's so mad about all of the amount of people who transfer. It's Wild West. Well, if a team gets relegated, you can't even imagine how, what the exodus would be at the transfer portal. So, yeah, that's why it won't work. Um, plus, I just want to you know, stay the way it is, like you do. As much as I love it, keep that in soccer. I love it in soccer. It's uniquely that. Football has its own awesome things, too. So Times are a-changing. They are. They say the times are a-changing. They are. Well, Nick, good stuff, brother. Yep. Good stuff. Appreciate you educating us a little bit on the relegation and promotion side of things. <laughs> but, you know, if, if it becomes more and more of a, of a talking point, if we get to that part of the college football world where we're talking about that, I mean, we're going we're gonna to have more discussions about that, I'm sure. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Good but stuff. that was a great question from Jared. Good Big Joe question. And OG Gary. I told them all three. I said, come back tomorrow, ask your questions. They all did. So appreciate it. Man today. of his word. A man is, a man is worth <laughs> nothing if not his word. Nick Brake, a man of his word. Best in the game, producing the hard count, getting your questions in there, punching the show live. We appreciate him as always. Hey, make sure you're locked in. We are back on the air on Tuesday. Okay, we got another coach interview set up for you, already recorded. This is a really good one. I think you're going to be excited to hear it. Follow me on Instagram. Follow me on Twitter to find out who it is because it'll be the first places that we announce it. We appreciate y'all. We love y'all. Let's have a phenomenal weekend, phenomenal rest of your week. We're going to keep this party rolling. We will see y'all next time.